0: All right, Acts chapter 12. For those of you that don't know, you'll want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We are going through the book of Acts. Now... Did you read chapter 12 this week? It's a pretty exciting chapter in the book of Acts. This reading plan is on our website. We also have some printed ones if you need one, and we are at this week we have just read Acts chapter 12 and that's what I'm going to be speaking to you about today. We're going to continue through the entire book of Acts so you can jump in with us right away and follow along week in and week out as we preach through these different chapters of the Bible. Acts chapter 12, I I got to tell you, about Wednesday, I was um, preparing this message, and man, I just started to nerd out terribly. (laughs) Just went way down rabbit holes of history and and all kinds of stories, and and man, I had a hard time keeping it on the rails this week, and maybe as we go through, you'll see why. Maybe you had a lot of thoughts and questions while you read through Acts chapter 12. I want to begin with Acts chapter 12, verse 1. There's a major turning point for the church that occurs right in this part of the Bible. And we've talked about that um, the last couple of weeks, and this week is no different. There's a major transition taking place. And we see in chapter 12, verse 1, it says this About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the, fe- the days of unleavened bread. Now I want to take some time this morning to give you some context and details historically and what we know and understand. What's going on in this time frame? Because the more we can identify with a story in the Bible, the more we realize how we can be encouraged today in our day-to-day lives from what these people walk through and experienced. And sometimes uh, we read through the Bible and we just go, yeah, that's just sort of a mythical story, and, and we don't consider the details or maybe put ourselves in the shoes of the individuals that were involved. But when we do, we can learn so much about God. And and who he is and about his church, how he's designed it. I want to begin by focusing on the character James in the Bible. Now, how many of you are familiar enough with your Bible to know there are multiple Jameses in the Bible? And how many times when you run across the name of James do you go, wait, which one is this? Well, today I want to unpack that just a tiny bit for you to tell you about James, but here's the thing I want to remind you of. This is John's brother. This is one of the 12 apostles. This is one of the closest men to Jesus. And we, he gets one verse here that says, and James was killed by the sword. But I want you to stop and consider the emotion of this situation. Getting the news that James has just been executed by the king. John's brother. He's the first apostle to be killed we know that judas takes his own life early but he's the first first one to be killed for his belief we know stephen was killed as a disciple but james is one of these apostles he's one of the 12 he's one of the close ones and he's just lost his life what was that like for his family because there's some good stories about james man he was one of the sons of thunder is jesus called him james and john they were pretty radical during jesus's ministry They wanted to call down fire on people. You ever want to call down fire on people? Don't raise your hand. We all felt that way once in a while. Jesus, thought town rejected you. Let's burn it to the ground. These guys were the sons of thunder. Jesus, of course, rebukes them. Their mother wanted them to sit on his right and left in his kingdom. See, they're anticipating Jesus to throw Rome out and to take over as the new king. And they're anticipating that they're going to be rulers with him. And they say, can we be on your right and your left in your kingdom? And, of course, Jesus rebukes them again. That's not for me to hand out. My father will decide, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? They had no idea what they were about to endure. That was James. James was a significant figure in the church, and here he's been killed. Well, let's talk about the different Jameses. Well, there's um, at most seven in the New Testament, but there's possibly some overlap here. You have James, the brother of John, who we're talking about today. You have James, the brother of Jesus, who is also sometimes called James the Just. You have James the Less. How would you like it if your name was James the Less? Hi, I'm J.R. the Less. (laughs) Where's J.R. the More? I don't know. But really what that means, the James we're talking about today that died, he was, he was known as James the Greater. And that really just meant older or taller. Okay? It didn't mean greater like he was more amazing and the other James was less amazing. James the Less, he was an apostle of Jesus as well. We don't know a lot about him. We have James the son of Alphaeus, James the father of Judas, we have James the brother of Jude, and we have the book of James written by one of the Jameses, or maybe another one entirely. Church tradition believes, and we don't, can't necessarily prove this, but church tradition believes that the book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Now, we know in Jesus' lifetime that his brothers didn't really, they, they didn't like him that much. They, like, you know, they kind of rejected him. But at some point or another, they become a major part of his ministry after his resurrection. And so he's known as James the Just. Now it's important that you know this James because he comes up later in the book of Acts. So here we go a couple chapters down the road. We're going to be reading about James again and you're going to go, wait a minute, didn't he just die? No, that was a different James. There are different, how many of you know the Bible's full of lots of repeat names? We're going to talk about another one today as well. But you all wanted to know about James, right? Now you know, now you know the rest of the story. Lots of Jameses. James was a significant figure. Actually, uh, what day of the, what day of July is it today? Twenty third. On the twenty fifth of July, uh, for those for the churches that have saints, they have the 20, uh, 20, What is it? Twenty fifth of July is the feast for James to celebrate him and who he was to the church. To give you some context, too, this is all taking place right about AD forty four. Now, we tend to believe that Jesus died somewhere around 30 to 33 AD. So realize how much time has gone by from when Jesus was crucified to the stories we're talking about now. We've been going through the book of Acts. We're to chapter 12. You might be under the impression this happened in a week. But you need to know that historically, 10 years or more has gone by by the time we get to this point. And I think as we read through the book of Acts, that can be helpful. Okay, that's probably enough about James. Sad day for the church. Very big deal. They'd been persecuted for a while. They'd have a, had a time of maybe a little bit of peace, but now they're being persecuted again. I want to talk about somebody else in the Bible. I want to talk about Herod. Now, how many of you read the sto- Christmas story, and you read the Christmas story, and every Christmas there's this guy, Herod, that kills all the baby boys. Know that story? Okay, how about I refresh your memory? When Jesus is born, the wise men come from the east. And they know that there's a new king of the Jews. But there's already a king of the Jews. His name is Herod the Great. He's on the throne. He's an old man. He's probably getting close to, se- he's about getting close to 70 by this point. And he hears there's a new king of the Jews. Herod is Crazy. We have a lot of historical evidence about Herod the Great. Because you got to understand, the Herods grew up with the Caesars. Okay, They grew up in the palaces in Rome. They were educated in Rome. They were close friends with people like Claudius, Augustus, Julius Caesar. They were very close to these guys. It's why they were appointed as kings over Israel by Rome. And Herod the Great was not so great if you were a Christian. They call him Herod the Great because he was so powerful and he built up so much of the area at that time. That's why he's known as Herod the Great. But when Herod finds out that a new king of the Jews has been born in Bethlehem, he takes all the little boys from Bethlehem and has them executed. You think, wow. But when you learn about Herod, you realize that's actually not that surprising behavior from him. I want to read you a little bit about him. Despite his brilliant and ambitious building projects, Herod the Great had a dark side that showed itself in the events of Matthew chapter 2 and in other historical events. He always feared potential rivals. He had his wife's brother, Aristobulus the high priest, drowned in a swimming pool in his palace. He put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He killed his mother-in-law. He also had his wife, Mariamne, murdered along with two of their sons. This guy killed his wife and two of his sons. He was very concerned about maintaining control. Because he considered them rivals with a legitimate claim to the throne because of their Hasmonean lineage. Herod had ten wives in all and many other children who did not have Hasmonean blood. Augustus Caesar is reported to have said, it is better to be Herod's dog than one of his children. When placed in this context, the incident in Matthew 2 does not seem out of character. These are not savory characters, this family. I want to break down the Herods for you just for a few minutes. Now, if you're a nerd with me, you're loving it. And some of you are going, oh no, this is going to be really boring, it's like a history lesson or something. But here's what I find valuable about this. When I begin to understand the politics that are at play around the life of Jesus in the early church, I suddenly look at my own life and go, boy, the politics are a mess in my life too. Man, you, you think the, the Bushes and the Bidens have weird families. You wait till you hear about the Herods. That was a joke. <laughs> Herod was was very well known for rebuilding the temple. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. Now, if you ever read through the New Testament and wonder why you're confused about who Herod is, this is why. There's all kinds of Herods at this time. Herod the Great, he had children. Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Herod II, also known as Philip I, Herod Aristobulus, who he had executed. Philip the Tetrarch, one of his sons who actually took over part of his kingdom. There was a Herod Antipater, and we have Herod the Great, Antipas, Antipas and Antipater the Second, yeah, Agrippa, Agrippa the Second. Are you confused yet? Lots of Herods, but there's only really four that you need to know. Let's go to the next slide. Do we have one with the four Herods? Well, I can tell you who they are. When Herod the Great died, when Jesus was a young uh, little boy in Egypt, we read the story of the Bible. An angel, maybe it's in a dream. Joseph finds out, he says, Herod, Herod's dead, go back. And he goes back. But he doesn't go back to Bethlehem, he goes to Galilee. Why? Because now, now Herod Antipas has taken over in that area. Do I have that four Herods one, Johnny? No? Okay, it's all good. Well, we have Herod the Great, who's ruler, and then he dies. Herod Antipas takes over. See, actually, what, what's happening is Herod the Great's kingdom got divided into three. Sorry, I'd have to do this. It got divided by, in, amongst three of his sons. Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Philip the Tetrarch got the three parts of the kingdom. Actually, part of it went to his sister as well a small part, to Herod the great's sister. But what happened with Archelaus is he just started to screw things up, and that's where Pilate comes on the scene. How many of you know who Pilate is? Okay, so when Jesus is on trial in Jerusalem, the reason he's not being tried by Archelaus is because Pilate has taken over for him by then, 30 years later. But Herod Antipas is in town in Jerusalem, and so Pilate sends Jesus over to him because he's also from Galilee. But Herod Antipas says, no, I'm not dealing with this guy, sends him back to Pilate, and you know the rest of the story. Jesus is crucified. Lots of Herods going on. In fact, it really gets kind of weird. Remember Herod's son that he executed? Aristobulus? He had a daughter that you will know named Herodias. Can I just point out that everybody still names their kids Peter, James, and John, but nobody names their kid Herod? Have you noticed that? Hi, here's my little boy, Herod. He's going to rule the world someday. <laughs> anyway. Herodias is the woman who's responsible for John the Baptist's execution. Herodias has a daughter. We, it doesn't name her in the Bible, but we know historically her name is Salome. And she's, she's uh, Herodias' daughter by Aristobulus. Okay? So, But Herodias... After Aristobulus is executed, Herod the Great makes her marry Philip the Tetrarch, but then she divorces Philip the Tetrarch and marries Herod Archelaus, or I'm sorry, Herod Antipas. And John the Baptist goes, you guys are sick and weird. <laughs> and she doesn't like him. Herodias doesn't like John the Baptist. So after her daughter does the dance and Herod Antipas says, I'll give you whatever you want. She says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now you know Why? Because there's this scandalous relationship going on, and John the Baptist is condemning them for what they've done. Anyway, it's kind of a mess. But after after a while, Herod Antipas is not really doing, well, basically he gets accused by Agrippa I, he gets thrown out. Agrippa I now is where we're at. Okay, we've got Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, now we're at Herod Agrippa the first, and if I got all those names right every time, it's going to be a miracle. Anyway, very interesting and fascinating. So every time you run into a Herod, when you're reading through the book of Acts, realize there's very much a political game going on behind the scenes and around the church, influencing what's going on. And when you know that, you can suddenly go, how did the church behave in the circumstances they found themselves? Can I learn something about how I operate as a person or we operate as a church in a world where there's chaotic governance and all kinds of weirdness going on around us? We might be able to draw some very serious lessons from what these guys went through. So now we're to the third Herod that's been ruling in this era. Now here's another thing that's really important. Well, I'll get to that in a second. I want to move on towards the end of Acts chapter 12 before we talk about Peter's story. I want to talk about the death of Herod, this Herod Agrippa I, who we're talking about today. It says in verse 21, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Glorious end, eh? What, what is this all about? I know that we, you probably imagine this like, a, like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that, where he, he just kind of melts and disappears and eaten by worms. But we actually have the historical account of his death by Josephus. And he actually gives us more detail about this day. Now, keep in mind, this is Josephus, not the Bible. Let's keep that in mind, but it's very, very accurate. And when Josephus records his death, he talks about it like this. On the second day of which shows he put on, he he, he was putting on these shows in Caesarea. He put on a garment made wholly of silver (laughs) and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out from one place and another and from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. Josephus confirms this story. Do you understand how significant that is for Christian apologetics? That we have historical accounts that confirm the biblical accounts of these situations, and now we know why they were so amazed. I mean, we would just see that he goes out and makes a speech, and they like him, but we actually see that he's wearing these robes made of silver, and they're reflecting like mirrors into the crowd, and peop- his flatterers, Josephus says, this is a God. You're a God, but he doesn't give glory to God immediately, and actually, even Josephus remembers this. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as a superior to mortal nature. Basically, they're calling him a God. Upon this, the king did ne- neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. But as he presently afterward looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was a messenger of ill tidings as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him, and fell into deepest sorrow. As it had once, I'm sorry, a severe pain also arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. So Josephus gives a historical account of the death. As soon as he doesn't give glory to God, even Josephus says that was wrong. When those people said he was a god, he should have rejected that and given glory to God. You have to keep in mind, here's something you you may not realize as well. This is the last Jewish king over Judah. Okay, the line of kings is broken, right? That sounds like a Lord of the Rings line, doesn't it? The line of kings is broken. But actually, Rome had appointed a king. This, I always kind of wondered, like, God, why did you do that? He's just like this Roman guy, isn't he? No, he's actually a very devout Jew. He's very sympathetic to the Jews. Uh, the Jews remember him favorably. They remember him as a pious man, a benevolent king. And he's the last king of the Jews. And when he gets ascribed godhood by his people and doesn't give glory to God, God ends it. The kings of Judah are over completely, forever, never to return. Well, I wonder, I wonder why. Who is the king of kings? What, what was the sign over Jesus' head on the cross? The king of the Jews. This fascinates me what was going on <laughs> that we can't understand or don't. Pretty amazing, all the connections here. I suppose that's enough history for you, eh? There is one more Agrippa that comes after him, but he's not a king. He's a ruler. He's, he's Agrippa's son, Agrippa II, conveniently. And we'll find him later in the book of Acts. Because later, you see Paul's on trial before Felix and Festus, and you see Agrippa in there, and you're like, I thought this guy died. No, that's his son. And that's why it's important. Here's, again, I want to reemphasize If you can really take the time to put yourself in the shoes of the individuals that are dealing with the issues that they're dealing with. James has been killed. Peter is thrown in prison. We got this king that doesn't like us, but he likes these other people. I think that all can be things that you and I can ponder in our hearts and just wonder about and go, God, what does that mean for my time? What does that mean for the situation that I am in? lastly, this morning, I want to focus on, obviously, the main character of this chapter, who is Peter. Realize Peter has just found out that James has been assassinated. It's been quite a few years have gone by now, about 10 years. Now he's in prison, because Agrippa's wanted to appease the Jews. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. This is one of the most amazing stories in the New Testament. You know, the Bible says he shall command his angels concerning you. Here Peter is, he's chained up, he's between two guards, he's got who knows how many soldiers guarding him, and an angel strikes him in the side. Did did that hurt? It says he struck him. Didn't say he poked him or nudged him. He struck him. I don't know, I've never been hit by an angel, but wake up! Get your clothes on, let's go! Or was it, Peter, wake up. We need to go now. An angel intervened on Peter's behalf. And he says to him this. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. I don't know if any of you thought about this while you read it. It just just occurred to me this morning, actually. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter before he left the earth? He said, someday you you will not dress yourself and you will go where you do not want to go. Do you think Peter ever forgot those words? Prophesying about his death? I bet he was laying there in that cell that night, chained up, going, now now, here it is. Tomorrow morning they'll dress me and take me where I don't want to go. But what does the angel say to him? Get dressed. Put on your shoes, put on your cloak, follow me. I just wonder if there was a little code in there. Like, now's not the fulfillment of those words of Jesus. We know that later, Peter is crucified. And he does get led somewhere where he doesn't want to go. And he does lay down his life. But it's not time. It's not time. An angel intervenes on his behalf. How many of you would like an angel to intervene on your behalf? You know who else probably wanted an angel to intervene on his behalf? James. I want you to think about this for a second. Why did James die and Peter live? That's an ancient question. Why did this person have to go and this person got to stay? Why did God intervene on this person's behalf and not that person's behalf? You ever wonder that? I think we all wonder that from time to time. Why do I why did I want this one thing but the other thing happened? That person was such a good person. Why did God take them so early? Why do do bad things happen to good people? This story, it's amazing on Peter's behalf, but you have to wonder that they thought about this. Why did God rescue Peter and not James? Did he was James screwed up? Did he make some mistakes? Did he have some sin? And God said, You're done. This speaks of the sovereignty of God. This speaks of God's will, God's design. Sometimes these things happen, you know, if they had prayed harder. Oh, we see that they prayed for Peter. Maybe they didn't pray for James, and that's why he died. But God's so much bigger than that. We can trust God even when bad things happen, even when they're wrong. Someone wrongs us, or even when we do something wrong and we're paying the price for that wrong, the consequences of it, we can trust God with our future. It's such an important thing to wrestle with in navigating your life. Because it can be very discouraging when you're going through difficult times or things happen that you don't think should happen. There are some things that when I, I don't know, right now here in this body on this earth, I don't know why. I wish it was some things weren't the way that they were. But I have to stop and go, but God I trust you. I trust you with the why. I trust you with that person's life. You have a greater plan. And I know you you know a lot of times the people's tendency is to go, God okay, God cared about James. He was one of his close buddies. God doesn't care about me. Guys, the Bible said a spar- says a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky apart from his will. You are a part of his plan. You are a part of his design. You can trust him with the events of your life, even when they aren't going the way you think that they should go. God, for whatever reason in his sovereignty, took James home, left Peter on the earth. He had more for Peter to do. Of course, we go on with the rest of the story. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that he was, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He's having such a surreal experience that he's not sure it's actually happening. He thinks he might be having a vision. I kind of want this experience. God does this sometimes for people. Like, wow. And they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door at the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel, which would mean like his spirit, an image of him. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James... And to the brothers, clearly he's not... we got two Jameses in one chapter here. Go tell James. We, we, could, it, could be James the less. Could be James the just. I think it's probably James the brother of Jesus because we see that he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem at some point in here. Because later on we have the council at Jerusalem where James will take a leading role in one of the great stories of Acts. Then he departed and went to another place. Revisiting the idea of the sovereignty of God, there's a commentator, um, theologian, F.F. F. his name is very well known and does a lot of good work. He says, he argues that direct divine intervention is strongly indicated in this narrative. He contrasts the story of Peter to that of James the Great, who was reported in verse 2 of having been executed by Herod and notes that why, quote, James should die while Peter should escape is a mystery of divine providence. Sometimes we just have to rest in the fact that there are mysteries in his divine providence. I just want to share with you a couple other things out of the story of Peter that I think are significant. I think in many ways we all can identify with Peter in a metaphorical way. Peter was as good as dead in his mind, I'm sure. Time was come here he is in these chains. How many of you would agree with me that you felt the chains come off at some point in your life? When God called you, the chains come off. Anybody? So many times. I don't, I'm not talking literally, I'm talking the chains on your heart and chains on your life, chains of addiction, chains of the past, chains of sin. And when God comes, said, wake up, let's make a change. Those chains come off. And God leads us when we could never lead ourselves. He leads us through things we could never get out of on our own. Maybe you do today feel like you're stuck in a prison with guards around you. God can deliver you. God can wake you up. God can make those chains fall off. God can lead you out in a new way. He's a good father. Think about these soldiers that were executed. Herod didn't like the fact that Peter somehow evaporated out of his cell. He had all those soldiers executed. Can you imagine the weight? These guys didn't value life that much. In fact, I wanted to share a story with you about Herod the Great that I forgot. Herod the Great was so worried that people wouldn't mourn his death, which was probably true, (laughs) that he ordered that a bunch of his officers also be executed when he died to ensure that people mourned his death. Can you believe that? They didn't carry it out. Thank goodness. They didn't agree. They didn't value life that much. They would have killed Peter and it wouldn't have bothered them a bit. But God intervened on his behalf. God may not send an angel to kick you in the side. That might hurt. But God meets you where you are. He'll deliver you. But in the day when your life is over, you can trust him as well. We don't know when our time is. And we have to rest okay that he's in control and we are not. Would you stand, please? the church has almost never had it easy doesn't today although we have had a good season and it didn't back then it was tough the politics of the day were wreaking havoc on the church and no different than they do today other things were at play same humanism that was at work back then is still at work today man is god but god's on the throne And driving all things towards his eternal plan and destiny. And his plans won't be foiled. Do you believe that this morning? I hope today when you leave here, you leave with a greater sense of security about God. About God's plans. And even about the difficulties that you go through. Let's pray. Lord, we, first of all, we we thank you for your design. Lord, when we look at the Bible and how it unfolds and these stories and the characters and how you even wove uh, the Herods into the story and how you use them to accomplish your purposes, and God, it's just amazing. God, I pray for everyone here this morning that that sense of your security, that sense of your destiny and your purpose, would give people peace. Lord, not, not to be foolish or reckless, but to honor you as God, the one who sits on the throne, whose kingdom is being established in the lives of men and women all over this world. Lord, I pray your spirit would be a comfort today. God, we thank you for the lives of James and Peter, the people involved, Lord, their their courage, and the lessons that we learn through their example. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer this morning, please meet with our prayer team up here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you. Don't miss the opportunity. You guys have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you back here for Acts chapters 13 and 14. See you next week.